something I've missed over the course of, of quarantine has been going to the movies. I enjoy going to the movies. Rach and I would go on a date night, or my brother would come down from New Hampshire, we'd go out to the movies and we'd see something. And more and more, you've probably noticed that this, that movies have gotten more and more epic and uh, big. Lots of explosions, lots of people riding motorcycles into helicopters on a mountain attached to a train going down it. It's just insane what's happening in movies these days. It doesn't, it's totally outside the realm of, of reality, but it somehow seems possible. And uh, there's something in us that, that draws us to the extraordinary. There's something in us that draws us to the remarkable, to the, the, the shocking. And it's fun to go to the movies and see movies like that because it, it feels like it gives us an escape from maybe the monotony of our day-to-day. -day. Maybe something exciting could happen like that in our lives. The Bible's no different. The Bible is full of extraordinary and epic tales. Wild things happen throughout Scripture. And, and most of them you learn about in Sunday school. Uh, talk about Noah and the global flood. Um, talk about the ten plagues in Egypt. Uh, talk about Moses and the Red Sea split in two when people walk across on dry land. And we hear these things now and we're like, oh, I've heard it a million times. I learned it since I was three years old or whatever. But they're still remarkable. They're still incredible and amazing things that happened. Talk about Noah and this huge fish that swallowed him, held him in its belly for three days, and then spit him out on the land. Talk about Joshua and the day the sun stood still for 24 hours so that the Israelite army could beat the Amorites. Talk about David, the shepherd boy who beat the giant. <clears throat> the Bible is filled with remarkable and extraordinary stories, extraordinary stories. Uh, but that's not our focus today. Our focus today is on the ordinary. God is concerned with the ordinary and the commonplace and the menial and the day-to-day. -day. <clears throat> I mean, Jesus talks about it all the time. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, look at the flowers of the field. He says, the kingdom of God is like a lost coin. He says, the kingdom of God is like a lamp on a lampstand. Jesus is concerned interested and aware of the unnoticed. There's a, a, a small book that totally changed my understanding of the, uh, and view of the love of God. I want to encourage all of you to read it this year at some point. It's called The Love of God by Oswald Chambers. It's a very short book. Specifically, a lot of what I'm speaking about today was, was prompted by my reading of his, his sermon called The Ministry of the Unnoticed. Um, you can get this for like four bucks, four bucks on thrift books, or I think it's like 12 or $13 new on Amazon. But it's an excellent work. I thoroughly encourage you to read it. Um, see, even though Pastor Kevin's not here, you're still getting a book recommendation, all right? So <laughs> in that book, in that passage, uh, Oswald Chambers talks about how Jesus is concerned with the trifling of home life, is what he calls it. I mean, Jesus was so concerned, God was so concerned with humanity and what, with what it means to be human that he sent his son as a human here to earth. And so often we look at the remarkable parts of his life. We look at the part where he was born in this stable. 
and the angels came and, and, and sang and, and told shepherds. I mean, right there we see this, this hint that God is going to be interested in the ordinary and the commonplace. Jesus is born in a feeding trough, and the first people who hear about it are not kings and rulers, but common shepherds who were sleeping outside. So we see God already, he's interested in the ordinary and the commonplace and the menial. But we hear about that story where he's born, and then we see his remarkable three years of ministry where he healed the sick and he rose the dead and he died and came back to life and he taught so many things. But what we don't often think about is that the God of all creation spent 30 years living a completely ordinary life. Unnoticed, unrecognized. The Bible finds it worthwhile to tell us of one story when he was about 12 years old when he goes to the temple and speaks with the rulers there. And it's maybe a few verses. And that's it. One story from 30 years of life. 30 years of an ordinary life here on earth. God lived an ordinary life. He had brothers and sisters. He had a mom and a dad. He learned a trade. He became a carpenter. That's why later on in Scripture, it said, he says that a prophet has no value or, or no, no glory in his hometown, no honor in his hometown, because the people looked at him and said, uh, we've known you for 30 years. You're a carpenter. Chill on all this son of God stuff, all right? Chill on thinking that you came to save us. Like, we... We know you. We watched you grow up. We saw you running around in the dirt. We, we, we watched you wash the dishes for your mom at home. Like, we know that you were an ordinary kid. God lived an ordinary life, an ordinary human life on purpose. But it takes God incarnate, Chambers said this, it takes God incarnate to do the most menial task properly. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today that there's a right way to do the menial. There's a right way to do the commonplace. There's a right way to do the, the ordinary. There's a right way to wash the dishes. And it's not that you have to use Dawn soap and you have to use a blue sponge and you have to do it at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. It's not a legalistic set of rules on what is this right way to wash the dishes. It's about a heart posture. That's what we're gonna talk about today the heart posture that we're called to in the commonplace, in the menial, in the ordinary. Chambers writes, our Lord, I'm just going to keep referencing this book, so you better read it at some point. So, all right, again, The Love of God by Oswald Chambers, all right? <laughs> our Lord did not say to his disciples, I have had a most successful time here on earth. I have addressed thousands of people and been the means of their salvation. Now you go and do the same. No, he said, if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In John 13, 14. Chambers continues, We try to get out of it by washing the feet of those who are not of our own set. We will, we will wash the heathen's feet. We will wash the feet in the slums, but fancy washing my brother's feet. My wife's, my husband's, the, the feet of the minister of my church. Our Lord said, one another's feet. It is the, in the ordinary, commonplace circumstances that the unconscious light of God is seen. We'll read that last line again because it's so powerful. It is in the ordinary, commonplace circumstances that the unconscious light of God is seen. 
God is concerned with the ordinary. And this has been a year as unordinary as the the events around us have been and the things that are happening. For many of us, it's been an ordinary year, a, a remarkably ordinary year in just being stuck at home just being in our, in our home, whether we live on our own or we live with family or we have a roommate, we're just, we're there. We're present in this space. Is there a heart posture? Is there a way that we can live in that place, in that common, ordinary, stuck-at-home place that honors and glorifies God? Because it's in the ordinary and the day-to-day that God speaks. Moses was tending his flock He was out in the desert tending his flock. He had done it a thousand times before. He was a skilled shepherd. He knew what he was doing. He had done it a a thousand times before when all of a sudden he saw a bush on fire and he heard the voice of God tell him to take his shoes off. David was bringing food to his brothers when all of a sudden he heard the voice of a giant mocking his God and he said, I'm going to do something about that if nobody else is. Peter was fishing. It was, his, it was his work, his daily job. He, he went fishing every single day when he met the Messiah, who he'd been waiting for his whole life. Daniel was praying. Daniel prayed three times a day. Every single day, three times a day, at the same time each day, he prayed. One of those days, he got arrested for it and was thrown in the lion's den, and God shut the mouths of the lions. Mary was paying taxes and filling out the census when she gave birth to the Savior of the world. It is in the ordinary and the commonplace that God shows up. Paul talks about this. God does it on purpose. He has a reason for this. Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast about him or before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Let that verse ruminate in your head a little bit. Not just to make the things that are a little bit less. Not just to make the the things that are respected and, and adored and beautiful and found worthwhile here on earth just kind of a little bit less or something, just to nullify them completely. He chose the things that are not. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom mindset. Flipping the world on its head. Turning, taking our values and what we find worthwhile and just flipping it all upside down. We're going to talk this morning, I read this morning a little bit from the book of Nehemiah. It doesn't get more ordinary than the book of... Nehemiah is about a wall. The whole book is about a wall. It's 13 chapters. If you don't think God is interested in the ordinary, he took 13 chapters of the Bible to write about a wall, okay? Nothing more ordinary than a wall. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And he was an Israelite. He worked, served King Artaxerxes. He had a cushy job. He heard through the grapevine 
that although the people of Israel had returned from exile about 100 years earlier and had rebuilt the temple in the time of Ezra, the wall around the city was still broken down, still in ruins. No one had done anything about it. And that hurt his heart. God, put, God touched his heart when he heard that. Touched his heart and said, do something about that. Do something about that. And Nehemiah was distraught. And he came to the king and the king said, sure, go. It pleases me to send you. And so he sent him. Sent him to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. <clears throat> but then as he got there and he started rallying the people to rebuild this wall, all the people around, all the, the, the rulers around him, the pagan nations around him, saw that they were rebuilding the wall, got scared and said, hey, let's go do something about this. Let's stop them from rebuilding Jerusalem. We don't want Jerusalem rebuilt. And so they started plotting against them, plotting this military attack to take them over and to scare them and to make them anxious so that they would stop the work, so that their hands would get weak and they would stop working. But that verse that I read you before is what Nehemiah says after that. He stands up and he says to the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. I think so often we get stuck in that first part. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's a beautiful place to be. But how do we live that out? How does it come into practicality for us? Does it just mean that I remember God in my devotions in the morning and then I keep living my life? I remember God in the ordinary. I remember how great and awesome God is in the ordinary and the everyday. I have a saying. If you forget everything else I, said, I say this morning, I want you to remember this thing. So I want you to do a little motion with me, all right? That'll help us remember what we're doing. All right, there he is. I see John putting his hand up. I like it. Perfect, big man. All right. Here it is. You put up one hand, you say, do the ordinary with one hand. Do the ordinary with one hand. And hold the hand of Jesus with the other. Awesome. I wish the uh, camera was flipped because you guys look great with your hands up like that. That's awesome. Do the ordinary with one hand and hold the hand of Jesus with the other. Ordinary and Jesus. I love that verse, verse 17. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I mean, how many people have carried materials at a construction site since the creation of the world? I mean, millions, right? That is an ordinary thing to do. It's a necessary part of the job to carry materials at a job site. <clears throat> But all of a sudden, there is a divine purpose in it. All of a sudden, they're carrying these materials to rebuild the wall of God, the wall around his city, Jerusalem. And they're doing so with a weapon in the other hand. The people cared about what God cared about, and that's why they rebuilt the wall despite the opposition, and they cared about each other, and that's why they were willing to work with a sword on their hip. They cared about the Lord, a focus on God and his glory. But that works itself out in practicality by loving his people that he has put around them. And so they loved and protected and cared for each other. 
they've rebuilt the wall of God with a sword on their hip. And so we're called to do the same. We're called to do the ordinary, to do the everyday, to do the menial with a weapon. But our weapon is the word of God. Our weapon is the hand of Jesus. Our weapon is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are, the Bible says this, the remarkable masterpieces of God. Like He spent time on each of us. He loves us. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And it's not just like, that's not in a, a, an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. He's not like, ah, Gabriel, how many hairs are on Neil's head again? Oh, three mil? I thought it was four. Oh, it's, okay. All right, good. What am I going to do with that information now? God doesn't have the, this, this information about us in a spreadsheet somewhere. He knows it because he loves us. If you love somebody, if you truly, deeply love somebody, you know about them. Oh, no, oh you guys are having fish tonight? No, they don't like fish. I'm not going to like that. Oh, you guys are going to the park? Oh, I'm going to invite Peter because he loves going to the park. We know things about the people we love. God knows about us. You know, it's a beautiful moment when a terribly sad thing happens when Abraham sends out the slave woman, Hagar, who's carrying his child, into the desert. And she's walking in the desert, and she has no food left and no water. And she's so desperate and so heartbroken that she lays her little boy under a bush and walks away because she can't watch him starve. She can't watch him die. And God comes to her and says, I heard the boy crying. And then provides for her the water that she needs. And cares for her. And steps in and intervenes. And then Hagar gives the Lord a name and says, you are the God who sees me. And we are children of a God who sees us. We are children of a God who knows us. We are children of a God who loves us. And he fills us up with the everlasting love of God, not just so that we can hold on to it for ourselves, but so that we can pour it out. We are like glasses being ever filled, cups being ever filled with water, and we just keep pouring, keep pouring it out as it keeps coming in. The love of God, a glass can only spill what it contains. Let us be filled forever with the love of God. Too often in the concoction that is our faith in God, we mix too many parts, behavior and doctrine and belief and rightness and too little parts relationship. Do you know that the God of all creation wants to just sit with you in your front room? He wants to be in your presence. He loves being in your presence. He loves you. He created you. You are his child. You are his beloved. As the Bible talks about God's relationship with us, he talks, they talk about it more often than not as a father to his children or a husband to his wife. There is beautiful love there. There is sacrificial ultimate love there. And so often we get scared and we think about God as this like righteous judge who's going to condemn us if we don't do the right thing. 
if we don't believe the right thing, if we don't think the right thing. But he just wants us to be in, in relationship with him. He wants us to be listening. He's going to show us what's right if we would just listen. But so often we're Martha. We're doing and doing and doing and sweeping and sweeping and cleaning and serving and doing all the things that we think are going to make God happy with us. When he just wants you to sit and listen. Just wants to have a chat with you. There's practicality in this message. There are three three things I want you to take home. Remember, do the ordinary with one hand. Hold the hand of Jesus with the other. Number one. (laughs) Number one, confess your sins. The first step. When Jesus went out and began preaching about the kingdom of God, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Confess your sins to God and find a brother or sister who you trust and confess your sins to them. The book of 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins to God, we find forgiveness. We find purity. And then in James it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. These are commands in scripture to confess not only to God, but to confess to each other. There is freedom in that. Confess to your brother or your sister and watch your sins float from your mouth into the wounds of Jesus and disappear forever. You are washed anew in the blood. You are forgiven. If you will confess your sins to our Lord and God, our Savior, our Creator, our King, you are forgiven. No strings attached. So number one, confess your sins. Take a moment to think about who is, my, who is my, my friend, my brother, my sister, my mother, my father in the faith. Come to them and say, hey, can I confess my sins to you? I trust that you're going to hold on to these things and, and be confidential and not share them with others. But I know I need to confess my sins, not just to myself, but also to someone else. So find someone that you trust and confess your sins to them in front of your Savior. Number two, invite Jesus to do the ordinary with you. If you're leaving here after church, invite Jesus to come wash the dishes with you. Invite Jesus to come read with you. Invite Jesus to go for a run with you. Invite Jesus to visit your grandkids. Invite Jesus to help you build that door frame or fix that plumbing problem. Invite Jesus to read this book with you. Invite Jesus to go to your friend's house. Invite Jesus in to the ordinary commonplace moments. Say, Lord, will you come do this thing with me? That's the heart posture. Orient your heart towards the kingdom of God. Orient your heart towards Jesus, even in the small, small things, even in the things you do every single day. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you're so tired of cleaning up those toys, invite Jesus to come in and clean those toys up with you. If you're so sick of sitting in the office and filling out expense reports, 
Invite Jesus to come in and fill out those expense reports with you. If you're so tired of running that cash register, invite Jesus to run the cash register with you. Invite Jesus into the ordinary. Invite Jesus into the commonplace. We have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling in our hearts as Christians. Don't let that be an untapped resource. We should be accessing the love of God, the power of God, every single day in the ordinary. We get so stuck on trying to do some grand, big, beautiful, important thing for God when God is saying those tiny things are important. Cleaning up those toys is important. Writing that expense report is important. Running the cash register is important because you are an agent of the living God amidst a sinful world. You are the light of the world. Be the light of the world as you do the ordinary. Even if only your kids see it. Even if just that one person who comes into the store today sees it. Even if just your wife or your husband or your roommate sees it. Even if nobody sees it. Be the light of God. Wherever you are. Wherever he's placed you. Don't wish for something bigger. He's put you right where you are on purpose. Right where you are on purpose. Right here on January 3rd of 2021, you're in this service, you're sitting at home on your couch, you're in your car, on your phone, outside the grocery store, wherever you are on purpose in this very moment. This very moment is life. This very moment is life. The past is history. Tomorrow's not promised. Be the light of God in this moment. Do the ordinary right now, holding the hand of Jesus. And that leads me to my final point. Be faithful with what you've been given. In Luke 16.10, which I encourage you to read the book of, uh, chapter of, uh, 16 of the book of Luke, it's a really powerful and intricate and detailed passage where Jesus is speaking. And there's like so much to it. We couldn't touch hardly any of it this morning. But in Luke 16, Jesus says, whoever is faithful with very little also will be faithful with much. And then later on, he says, if you can't be trusted with the wealth of this world, how can I trust you with the, with the wealth of the kingdom of heaven? How can I trust you with the treasures of eternity? So be faithful now with what you are given here on earth. And then I will know I can trust you with the treasures of eternity with the beauty of the coming kingdom. My brother's favorite book is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by uh, Viktor Frankl. It's about his, his days in the concentration camp. Uh, it's a beautiful work. And he tells a story. He says, I remember one day, I remember how one day a foreman, so this is one of the soldiers there watching them at the concentration camp, one of the soldiers there. I remember how one day a foreman secretly gave me a piece of bread, which I knew he must have saved from his breakfast ration. And it was far more than the small piece of bread which moved me to tears at that time. It was the human something which this man also gave to me, the word and the look which accompanied the gift. Sometimes God can move through a word, through a look. We don't have to have everything right, everything perfect, everything so well prepared that we say all of the right things. I can't tell you how many times I've said the wrong thing. But God can move 
God can work. And so often God works in the silence. And so often it's just important to just be there. Just to be with God. So Nehemiah 4.17 says, Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. What I want you to remember walking out this morning is to do the ordinary with one hand and to hold the hand of Jesus with the other. To do the ordinary with one hand and to hold the hand of Jesus with the other. Let the ordinary, the commonplace, the menial, the day-to-day become divine because you invite Jesus in to do it with you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you care about the commonplace. I know I am just an ordinary boy from Connecticut. And that you cared enough to invite me into your kingdom and your forever family. You gave up everything to make that a reality. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you cared about each of us to open that door to let us in to your kingdom, to your family, and then to employ us, to give us something to do. Help us not to get proud and think that we should be doing something more important than what we're doing. Help us to understand that your ways are higher than ours and your thoughts are higher than ours. And that there is beauty in the ordinary and in the commonplace and that we can bring you glory every single day by daily taking up our cross and following you. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Jim up and we're going to take communion together. Another ordinary thing, bread and wine, but for the glory of God.